0: The following program contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is
1: advised.
0: Hi, welcome to Corn on the Macabre. Kelly hits her microphone as I talk. <laughs> I'm Katie Atkins. <gasps>
1: I'm Kelly Reed.
0: And uh, right now traveling is a little terrifying and sometimes it's just terrifying in general.
1: Also, it's a nightmare for
0: podcasting, as we've figured out. Yeah. Yes, now. Oh my god, this is... I need you to look at the stream to see the <laughs> angle of your face. I'm saying it. I'm trying to fix it. Um. So you asked me before if I had any terrifying travel stories. Okay, so I was trying really hard to think of a terrifying travel story to tell, and especially since I've traveled so much and all over the world that the only story I could really think of where I was like I mean obviously a 10-hour layover in the LAX airport is a nightmare in and of itself I wouldn't necessarily call that like terrifying as just like highly inconvenient but I did remember a time that Amy and I when we went to Kyoto Japan we got lost in the woods (laughs) And it was about to be nighttime with, like, no lanterns or lights anywhere, (laughs) especially since uh, we were near, like, all the shrines in Kyoto, like, up on one of the mountains. Uh, It was just me being an an idiot is essentially how that ended up going. Amy and I were just, like, so obsessed with, like, let's just see everything. Let's do stuff people don't normally do. Let's just go crazy. And I want to experience this to the fullest because we're in Japan. Uh, It was starting to get dark out, and there was this, like, I guess it's a hiking trail, walking trail, something that goes into the mountains, and it did say that it was going to, like, close soon. I'm trying to remember if it was already closed, and we just passed the sign like an idiot, or if it just said it was, like, closing soon at a certain time, like, it was about to be the time of which it would be closed off. And so we were like, it's fine, it's just, like, we saw it as, like, an alternative way back to where we were so we were walking and walking and there's a couple like forks in the road and everything is on old wooden signs in japanese and at this point in time both of us had zero signal on our phones and it started getting really dark really quick and we were like oh god oh god and we like kept taking turns trying to figure it out And we were like, maybe we can figure it out on our way back. And we started walking back and then realized we didn't know our way back. And, like, it was not a straightforward trail. And we were just like, "Uh, are we lost in a forest in Japan? Oh, my God. And we run into this old man... This old Japanese man who knows enough English for us to communicate with him, and I know, like, just enough Japanese to be able to communicate to him. We're trying to explain, like, the temple at which we're trying to get back to, and he just goes, oh, yeah, and, like, just starts walking, signals for us to follow him.
1: Oh, my God, what a nice person.
0: Right? But the thing is, is that Amy, being American, is, like, stranger danger. And I'm like, Amy, this is Japan. There's, like, barely crime here. Like, it's fine. Now is not the time, Amy. But she was like, I don't know. Like, what if he's leading us back to, like, a group of people who's going to jump us because they're tourists or something? Or, like, we don't know. And he, like, doesn't know enough English to really, like, continue communicating with us to, like, assure us where we're going. He's just signaling for us to follow him. And so I'm like, look, do do you have a better plan? To get out of here before it gets way too dark and we can't see shit. <laughs> Amy started freaking me out and I kept having to calm myself being like, this old man is not going to like murder us. Like, it's okay. And I kept assuring her. I was like, we can take him. Like, we can take him. Like, he's just one old dude. And he mentioned to us, though, that he was training for a marathon. But I was like, I don't care. We can take him. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We got used on our side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Because he was, like, walking with his hands on his hips to try to make sure he keeps his, like, hips straight so he doesn't hurt his back or anything. It was kind of adorable. But we got back. Everything was fine. But there was a moment there where we were, like, are we going to be, like, murdered by, like, random Japanese people in the forest and, like, no one will ever know? Or not murdered, but, like... Robbed or something. Right. But everything ended up being fine, so I can't really say that was, like, a terrifying travel story, but, yeah, that's the best I got. That and, like, being late to a flight and spending hours upon hours in the airport is always its own nightmare, so. um, Right. Do you have any? I mean,
1: TSA, plane, travel, in general, (gasps) airport. The only thing I can think of when it comes to travel horror stories for me personally would be when we traveled to Tennessee to do the whitewater rafting trip. I think most of us know know this story, but just in case, we went to go whitewater rafting for my birthday. We went to Tennessee. Uh, we went on the Okoe River to go whitewater rafting because it's one of my favorite activities. And I had a couple friends who were nervous about it. They're like, whitewater rafting seems dangerous. But we went anyway because I convinced them it was a lot of fun. Uh, probably towards the middle of, our whitewater rafting trip I fell out of the raft while surfing a cat for rapid and almost drowned but I mean I came out of it obviously and everything was fine but it was a terrifying like couple of minutes other than that I don't think I have many terrifying travel stories I've just enjoyed traveling a lot
0: yeah we <laughs> I'm actually that so I can't do it now yeah, I think we talked about that, what happened to you in more detail, in our survival episode with Rhea. Yeah,
1: we did. That's why I didn't want to go into more detail about it, because I know it's already in our podcast.
0: When you mentioned TSA, that did remind me that I was almost arrested by TSA.
1: <laughs> why? Why?
0: Uh, because I didn't know I had a weapon in my bag, and it was like a weapon. Like, luckily, it wasn't like a gun. What weapon did you have? Why did you have a weapon at the airport? Get to it. It was an accident. Just hold on, hold on. I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it okay so here's here's what happened so uh when i was 18 i dated this guy who for whatever he liked to buy weird stuff which like i like to buy weird stuff too but sometimes he just like to buy think of those guys who would buy like katanas and like weird daggers and like collectible like weapons versus
1: there's nerd weird versus like weird weird so i get it yeah
0: yeah, like like nerd weird stuff. Since I was going to school downtown, I wasn't allowed to have pepper spray in my dorms where I was living downtown. Like you could be like kicked out for having it because it's considered a weapon. So he decided his workaround for me to have a self-defense weapon was like a beating stick. I don't know what they're called, but it's like what police officers use where it's like oh. a... And yeah, a beating baton. Like it's like a it's a retractable baton and it's small, but it's retractable. And it's definitely a blunt object. And it was definitely created for literally nothing but to hurt people. I had this backpack with a bajillion zippers and pockets. And there is this side pocket that was kind of hidden by where you put water bottles on the side little water bottle section of a backpack. And I never opened the pocket. I never used it. I didn't I forgot the pocket was even there and apparently I had just slipped this right into that pocket and I had been carrying this thing around in a backpack, not realizing, for like two years. So I'm going to Canada with my dad and I'm going to Canada with my dad and I emptied out my backpack the night before and just filled it with all of my carry-on stuff. Me thinking and double checking, I don't have nail clippers, I don't have anything that could flag TSA. It's 3am, I'm exhausted, I've had like three hours of sleep. I just want to get on the plane because my dad's super worried we're going to be late. Blah, blah, blah. TSA, like, you know how they normally are like, oh, let's go through your bag. It was flagged. They, like, pulled me aside away from everybody and away from my dad. Like, they wouldn't let him come with us. And I'm like 1920 at the time, and I'm like, okay, I guess like it's just weird because I'm leaving the country or something instead of traveling domestically. And they like sit me down at this table. They like tell me, they're like, were you aware that you have a weapon on you? And I was like, what? No, I don't. Like, what weapon? I was like, is it like nail clippers or something? And they were like, no. You
1: must be a mistake. Yeah,
0: I like legit did not know what they're talking about, and they didn't believe me. That I didn't know. They thought I was like messing with them. Um, Because at one point, they told me that my like uncaring and nonchalant attitude, which was really just me, me being like confused and tired. <laughs> they flagged me for that. <laughs> and um, they like pull it out. And they're just like, why do you have this? And I was like, Oh, my ex boyfriend or whatever thought that I could use that for self defense. And they're just like, why would you? They're like, why would anybody use this for self defense? It's not a self defense weapon. And I was like, I don't know, do you want me to call him? Like I can just call him and ask because I thought it was kinda dumb too because it could easily be turned against me. I'm not even strong enough to like use it effectively really.
1: They didn't... Or know how to use it. I'm not trained in baton
0: karate. And I guess they wanted to make sure <laughs> I guess they wanted to make sure I wasn't smuggling it on the plane for somebody else to use or something. Ah, uh, okay. But anyways, uh they were like it was three of them crowding me not just one it was three of them and they were I just remember the way they were looking at me it was like they were looking at me like I was a crazy person like it's hard to explain like I was dangerous or something it was really strange it was like imagine like you're in huge trouble at school for something and you just don't know why but everyone's looking at you knowing why. It kind of felt like that, but in a weirder setting because it's TSA in an airport. Mm. <laughs> so they're just like, is it okay if we take it? And I was like, yeah, take it. Like, I don't even want it. Like, I'm never going to use it. I've never used it. I didn't even know it was in the bag. I don't open that pocket. And they were like, okay, well, we just want to let you know that if you had said that you wanted to keep it at all, we were going to arrest you right now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, like, you passed our test. Yeah, that's kind you of how they said it. our TSA puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of like, jeez. now I wish it was nail clippers. At least I could mail that back to me. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, they didn't even give me the option to, like, mail it to myself or keep it in any way.
1: It's like, you don't need this. Goodbye.
0: Yeah, I was kind of like, okay, can I go now? And they are just like, yeah, but they just... Apparently, uh, what I was supposed to do is act really freaked out the whole time, which I didn't do at all. And if you don't act really freaked out or like, oh my gosh, super concerned, um, they
1: flag you as suspicious. So. Note to people who are concerned about TSA, completely act scared.
0: Um, so tell us
1: about your story. Like, what's, what's up? I hope you guys are ready for this wild fucking ride. Both of them had tangents. Um, so, what I originally wanted to do when I talked about terrifying travels, I know you've heard about, you've heard me talk about this fucking uh, movie a thousand times, but it is Frozen, not La La Frozen, Frozen, the ski lift horror movie show. Believe me. Like now, you. anytime that anybody Google's Frozen, it's only gonna come up with Disney bullshit. But whatever, here we are. Anyway, the movie was called Frozen. It was about these. People on a ski lift who got trapped right before they were closing down for the season and they were stuck on the ski lift. One fun story I did want to mention because I was looking into this trying to find out the true story. It turns out there's no true story behind it, but the director went on the ski lift before they shot and on his ride up. He points at this location and he says, this is where they die. Not like this is where they're going to get stuck. It's this is where they die. And right when he says that, the ski lift shuts down. The power goes out and they're stuck there for an hour, which is just like a creepy story. And then on top of that, he comes to find out later that somebody had committed suicide on that ski lift at that exact point that he had chosen for the movie. And that turned out to be a true story. They even had like the same ski lift, you know, the, the thing you ride in, the bench, I guess, that still had a hole in it from where the guy had shot himself and he had like fallen down. So that was crazy. Wait, a man shot himself? I missed that. Yeah, a man had shot himself on that ski lift. Why did he have a gun on him? I I guess they don't check you for that, which I mean, we can attest to because You and I went on a ski lift, and it's not like anybody pats you down for that shit. They're like, nobody comes skiing to kill themselves. Like, that's not something that people worry about, I guess. Well, my question Um, is,
0: is did he kill himself because he got stuck, or did he just, like, be like, I'm killing myself on
1: the ski lift today? No, it had had nothing to do with him being stuck on the ski lift. It was just he went up there with an intention, and the director had ridden up on that same ski lift and chosen the spot where that guy had killed himself for those people to die right when the ski lift broke down. So it was just like a weird chain of events that I thought was worth mentioning because that's creepy.
0: That is super creepy. I'm sorry, I got the plot of the movie with the story that it's based on and that guy dying confused with each other. So
1: yeah, no, so there is no story that that's based on. That's why I was concerned because I was going to do my bit on how, on like the true story of how that happened in the movie. But it turns out that that was bullshit. Uh, no true story that goes along with it, which makes me a little sad, but also happy because that would have been horrific.
0: Yeah, glad knowing I got stuck um, on a fucking ski lift. Jesus
1: Anyway, I have another horrific (laughs) travel tale for you, if you'll come along with me, (laughs) also based on a movie that I love, that is actually based on a true story.
0: Okay, well, we're on the edge of our seats.
1: Alright, have you ever seen Wolf Creek?
0: No, but it does sound slightly familiar.
1: So back when we were youngins, probably uh, high school, I think, like maybe seniors, maybe juniors, we were near the end of our college years.
0: Wait, end college, of our college or, or high school? Because that's either, right. you're talking about 2009, 2010, or 2015. It's
1: 2015. only 2010. Okay. It's 2010 and it's Wolf Creek. And I don't know why. I. It was the end of our high school careers heading towards college is what I meant to say. Okay. Personally, I was in a play at my local theater that was doing cabaret. Not that that matters. We were in the rehearsal room watching this movie, Wolf Creek. And this was before I liked horror movies, mind you. But it scarred me forever. And then when I was actually in college and I liked horror movies, I went back and watched it. And it still scarred me forever. Because it was horrific. The story, if you don't know, and this is without spoilers, is basically young kids would go out to explore Australia. And they would get tricked into being taken on by a local who would then murder them. Now, this story at the time, I thought was just like a horrific plot for a horror movie, but as it turns out, it is actually based on a real person and real events. On the day before New Year's Eve, Deborah Everest and James Gibson from Melbourne, they set off from Sydney towards Albury and they head towards Victoria. So all of these are different portions of Australia and they went there to go hiking and then also to go to an alternative lifestyle festival so kind of like burning man cute kids going out to enjoy the festival have the time of their lives uh they had planned to meet friends but they never arrived and when neither of them made contact with their families in the week following their relatives followed a missing persons report police were not immediately concerned they're just like okay your kids went to this crazy festival things got out of control now they're missing, but they're probably just high and they'll show up eventually. Simone Schmittel, who's 21, she comes from Germany, left Sydney for Melbourne in Australia uh, on the 20th of January in 1991. And she had been due to meet her mother at Melbourne Airport four days later. Then Gaber... And Anya, who were also German, left Sydney on Boxing Day of 1991. And the couple were supposed to be making a trek to Darwin, which is also in Australia, before returning to Munich a month later. Uh, but they never got on the plane. If you're not keeping count, this is... I'm not keeping count either, obviously. <laughs> Sorry. Four, five, five people who are now missing who went to, like... Travel to the Melbourne area. (laughs) So I even looked into this a little further, and it turns out there's an interstate that they made um, heading towards DeLonga. Give me me one second, because I'm going to hate it if I can't think of this. I
0: can't wait for Um, Australians to contact us and be like, wow, can you just, like, do a Google search?
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, you know, the sad part is I did that murder search or I did that search and I still can't remember it. Here's the reason I have to find it is otherwise I'm going to call it baloney because it's spelled like baloney. Belaglo. Belanglo. Belanglo. Belanglo State Forest Park. So this is why this is important. Belanglo State Park. You had to travel to go find this shit. It was on back roads. You had to go and like, search it out to get to it, they decided to build a road that connected it to mainlands like Melbourne so that people could go enjoy the state park. However, even when you ride up to go visit this park, the Balanglo State Park sign has like gunshots in it and it says, be careful. Nothing inviting about this place other than it's beautiful once you get inside it's basically like if you've seen Cabin in the Woods and you know the guy who's, who lives at the gas station, that's that sign. He's Got basically it. like a big red marker saying, do not enter. If you pass this point, something bad will happen to you. And people still cho- choose to do it because it's exciting and because they want to see the landscapes and they choose to say it's worth it. And they probably think that there's nothing really that bad beyond this point. Going back, Simone Schmidt from Germany, left Sydney from Melbourne, meant to meet her mother. We talked about this. Anya, also German, left Sydney, Boxing Day. The couple were supposed to be making the trek to Darwin before returning to Munich, but they never got on the plane. And then we have Clark. It's Carolina Clark, which is such a pretty name. She's 21 years old. And she's coming from Surrey And then her friend who I could only find a last name Walters She's 22 So their lives are like Just getting started Um, But she's from Wales And they meet at a Backpackers hostel In Sydney's King Cross And shared a flat there They had hitchhiked together A number of times Uh, in Australia to a number of different places within Victoria and Mildura on the way to Tasmania to pick fruit. They basically were just big adventure girls. And in April of 1992, they left Sydney again with vague plans uh, that seemed to involve heading south towards Victoria. Only this time, when weeks passed without any contact with their parents... The two families began alerting police in the UK and Australia and even contacted the media to drum up interest in the case because these girls had gone backpacking before together on separate occasions. I assume their parents probably either knew each other or knew about each other and they had known that this had taken place before. So once they weren't contacted, they were like, no, fuck this. We're going to take another step. We're going to contact the media instead of the police because we know how this shit gets done. And they're just like, hey, um, our girls have gone missing. They left in this area. They have been missing for this amount of time. Because they did this, it didn't take long for journalists to start linking their disappearances with others in the cases. Which, honestly, I find kind of interesting that police didn't do it first. It was literally because these parents got the media involved. That they were able to find this link between all these missing people that I just mentioned. It wasn't the police that found this link. It was literally these parents who reached out to the media and they're like, hey, I know you've been noticing missing people around this region. Our daughters have gone missing around here. We think you should know about it. We think the public should know about it we're concerned, we need something to be done. And that's what really starts this investigation. Doesn't take long for journalists to start linking their, their disappearances with other cases. In 1992, an Australian television program followed by New Bower's parents. So it was another missing person. It was a television program that was where they had a guest appearance by another missing person's parents begging people to help look for their son, and they start pointing at other backpackers that were missing in the same area. So now we have TV exposure, we have media exposure, we have newspaper exposure. And in September 1992, which is a few months later after this, after these parents go on TV, two runners discover the first of the bodies. So they find Clark, Carolina Clark, and her friend Walters. It is bad. It's not like they find them dead. They find them in really, really bad conditions. Walter uh, Walter's has been stabbed 21 times in the back and 14 times in the chest. Her spine had been severed by a vicious blow, which means that he had paralyzed her. Whether that had been at the beginning or the end, it kind of seems like he had paralyzed her and then tried to torture her with the stabbings. Then lying in the scrub 10 meters away... Carolina had been shot 10 times in the head while blindfolded and stabbed in the chest. Later on, people went on to say that they had used the shooting 10 times as being target practice. Because this was a person who enjoyed shooting and enjoyed hunting. So it was literally just him shooting this person over and over and over again Probably just for enjoyment to hit the right spot that he wanted to, which is fucked up as hell. Yeah, I'd fucking say, dude, holy crap. It's one thing to find, like, a couple dead bodies, which is already horrific, but to find them tortured much- and mutilated, yeah. It's just plain to see that it was torture. It was overkill. Um. um so a year later, in October of 1993, a Bushman collecting firewood found another body- which was James Gibson, who I mentioned previously. Police found Everest nearby, and then a month later, the three Germans were found. Just the same as Clark and Walters. All of them were not just, like, shot in the head dead. It was all, like, brutal attacks. Like, they were... all of them had been stabbed more than once, all of them who had been shot more than once. It was, like, a game to this person. So
0: they were all found in the same area? Yeah. Okay. So and the, it was like... the runners
1: found them um, in this. I will never be able to remember the name of this place.
0: It's not Wolf Creek.
1: Belong Glow. State Park.
0: Baloney.
1: Yeah, Baloney State Park. <laughs> I
0: hate to say it. It's baloney. But I,
1: every time I look at it, I'm just like, it's Baloney State Park.
0: It's Baloney um, State Park. It's just, <laughs> it's baloney. Um... It's baloney.
1: The worst of meat. It has the worst of crimes.
0: bloaty is not a great meat that's very true Uh, (laughs) wait is there are you maybe suggesting that these people might have been hunted in this park
1: no okay i'll get to that at the end okay the movie the movie that they made off of this Wolf creek which i started with um while it's not you know 100 percent accurate based on the accounts does sum it up pretty well on how and why and the end result At least in my opinion.
0: Well, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't really know what it's about.
1: You should absolutely watch it afterwards, but
0: I probably am
1: going to give you spoilers.
0: Um, Well, if it's based off true events, I think it was already spoiled.
1: It's like, it's based off true, true events, but they also, like, created their own kind of story to explain it better. Like, they took the most gruesome of all the events and compiled it to make this movie. You know? Okay. All right, so they find all these bodies... I think they found like seven at this point, point. and after an intensive investigation, police narrowed down the list of suspects to have a few um, to a few dozen. But actually, it was another person, another person from Britain. It's another Briton. His name is Paul Onions. His last name is actually Onions, <laughs> but he provides the most crucial piece of evidence. In January of 1990, three weeks after the Everest and Gibson's disappeared. Onions Paul Onions had hitched a ride to Canberra, but he had hitched a ride to Canberra with a mustachioed man, who had <laughs> a de- mustachioed <laughs> man <laughs> yeah. Mario a mustachioed man a mysterious mustachioed man like uh, he described him as looking like the Australian cricketer Dennis Lilly, who I didn't look up, but I can only imagine he looks really fucking creepy
0: or just has like um, a real solid mustache,
1: real. Thick boy. Real like thick. It, once you look up this person, you're gonna be like, "Wow, that's a stash." The trip began uneventfully for Paul onions, but they made their way down the highway because he had jumped a ride in the car with this guy. Uh, I think called himself Bill. Yeah, so he hops in the car with this guy who calls himself Bill. Um, and then as they're riding down, as they get further away from where they started, the guy starts asking Paul onions unsettling questions. Does anyone know where you're heading? Is anyone waiting for you in Canberra? Or any special forces training while you were in the Navy? He keeps asking these intrusive questions. But as the car approached the Bilanglo State Forest, the driver, Bill, pulled off to the side of the road saying he wanted to find some cassettes to play. And like the back of his trunk, because this is the 90s and we still had cassettes. Instead, of getting cassettes, which would have been a lovely thing. We could have listened to fucking Spice Girls, but he doesn't do that. He pulls out a fucking gun and a length of rope and tells Paul this is a robbery. Unlike the other victims, Paul's like, no, fuck that. And he starts running. The two fought because Bill ran after him. Bill fires a shot, but Anya's is able to flag down a car during this whole encounter. Like, there's shots being fired. They're fighting. And Paul is able to, like, wave down someone to get him in his escape. Uh, he filed a report with the police, who told him it was unlikely they would, be, they would ever be able to find the man responsible uh, because they thought this was just a robbery because that's what Bill had told him. But six years later, Paul Onion's testimony is what would be crucial to his conviction. So this is where I want to go into the movie a little bit. And I don't want to skip ahead because I just wanted to make a marker for my point to be like, this is where this shit gets really fucking crazy. What you come to find out is this person's name is Ivan Malat. And what Ivan Malat has been doing, he lives out in the middle of nowhere, Australia, And he knows that people are in route now with this new interstate or highway coming in to go see the state park. And because of that, he can post up wherever the hell he wants and watch people, like tourists, come in, which in the movie, it's a giant crater. I can't confirm that, um, but basically, it's like there's this big asteroid. Crater that is in the state park that people can see.
0: What can't you confirm? Uh, That the crater is real or that it's in the movie?
1: So I can confirm that it is in the movie, but I can't confirm (laughs) that it is in the state park. Okay, got it. All I can confirm is people wanted to go here a lot, even though there was a lot of dangerous activity around there. And what I can infer is that it has to be something that's at least comparable because otherwise why would you make that risk within the film this dude would find tourists whose cars had broken down when really he had sabotaged their vehicles in order for them to need help they'd be out in the middle of nowhere and this australian man would come along and be like oh yeah this happens like so sorry you have to deal with it you can come stay with me i'll tow your car and like tows them to his place and then drugs them And kills them. So that part is obviously untrue because he seemed to get a lot of pleasure out of the torture. Like the real man, Ivan, seemed like his whole thing was, I want you to suffer, which is really fucked up. Um, But in the movie, it was like, you're going to be drugged to them one at a time. You're going to be killed. Anyway, the way that these things align is later on down the road, while police are investigating, they come across Ivan Malat. Because he had been convicted of several questionable criminal activities before. And so he was on that narrow list. And once they come to it, and they also have Paul Onion's recent account, they go to Ivan's house and they find possessions of the people that he had killed before. Like, kind of like trophies that you would hear from other serial killers. Items belonging to his victims. More belongings for discovered later on was they searched his house and the relatives were able to identify those items, which really fucking sucks. It's not even that they found the bodies, it's that they found their possessions and the possessions that they had given to their friends uh, before they had went on these trips. These bodies have been known as the backpacker killings and they became subject of intense international media scrutiny and speculation. Um, After the seven victims had been discovered in makeshift graves within the Belonglo State Park in 1992 and 1993. Um, And that's when we come to find out more about Ivan Malat. So his name is Ivan Robert Marco Malat. He was born on the 27th of December 1945. And he was the fifth of 14 siblings um, and one of 10 brothers. Uh, So from the outside, the early years of his life were pretty unremarkable. His father worked on the wharves of Sydney after migrating from Croatia after the First World War. And then his mother was just like a stay-at-home mom. His father was a very strict person, eventually started making a plantation where he put the boys to work. So it can likely be assumed that the boys were more abused than the girls. They were put to work and they were seen as kind of like labor instead of, you know, sons. The neighbors said that the boys were not outstanding. They didn't stand out in any kind of way. But as they grew older and the parents got older and they weren't able to discipline their children as much, they started acting out more. So there was petty theft and some troublemaking, and then it grew into breaking and entering and burglary. Seven of the 10 brothers had run-ins with the law. And the Malat family became well-known to the police. Ivan Malat especially leaned into the lifestyle. And in the 60s, um, during his late teens, early 20s, he started serving long stints in jail for a series of brigandering and burglary. He was described as having a quiet charm and fastidious nature. He even had a few affairs with his brother's girlfriend. Mm. With his- period because he was just a scumbag Um, and as he got older he was linked to crimes of increasing severity in the 70s he was tried for raping two 18 year olds who had been hitchhiking in melbourne with a friend but with it being the fucking 70s he was acquitted and nothing went into it, and since they didn't take him seriously, he's still fucking out there. And later on, after these bodies have been found, it turns out that one of his friends, like one of Malat's friends, he knew Malat had been bragging to him about his capacity for violence, and even described how to turn a person into a head on a stick by st- by stabbing them in the spine, which is how half of his victims were so basically what he would do is he would paralyze his victims and make them watch as he killed their their friend if they had one with them um, oh my god
0: wait so he bragged that he did that or that he just knew how to do that
1: he knew how to do that like he oh knew how god. to turn a person into a head on a stick by paralyzing them and making them just like sit up there and watch because they had been stabbed in the spine and couldn't do anything Woof. okay yeah Um, He had even been known to be an avid shooter and hunted in the forest where the bodies of his victims were found. Yeah, but he was arrested in 1994, years later, and convicted in 1996 after an 18-week trial. He was held in a high-security unit at Goldburn Supermax, which was home to Australia's most dangerous criminals. And in May, he was transferred to Long Bay in Sydney after he was diagnosed with terminal um, esophagus and stomach cancer. During his time in solitary confinement at Goldburn, he had been on several hunger strikes and sometimes swallowed sharp objects if guards did not meet his demands. So this guy was an asshole through and through. His legacy apparently continued on um, because in 2012... His great nephew, Matthew Malott, was sentenced to at least 30 years in prison for the axe murder of a friend in the same forest. The court had later gloated about the murder, saying, that's what the Malots do, and that's what's haunt their name ever since, because Ivan Malat is a fucking terrifying psychopath.
0: Yeah. It's crazy to me when you when I heard you say that like girls in the 90s were hitchhiking, and then I thought how people who are not from Australia, always talk about how nice Australians are and how nice everybody in Australia is. And then you look at all of the, like, crazy murders that's happened in Australia, and it's just kind of like, ah!
1: I mean, Australia's scary enough without the murderers, with the giant fucking spiders and the snakes and the what have you. But then to add murderers on top of it, it's just, come on. If there is a fucking hidden road that you have to find out and the sign has gunshots on it, maybe don't go that way. Not yeah. that it's the victim's fault in any way, shape, or form, but a heads up to be careful, especially in Australia.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe second guess your
1: choices. I don't know. Yeah, maybe look into it a little more before you go. Just I so mean- you know that you're prepared.
0: Oh, yeah. No. For sure. Okay, so I had a hard time picking a topic to be completely honest. When I thought of terrifying travels, the first thing that came to mind was just dark tourism in general. And the idea of dark tourism, uh, dark tourism is a name that was coined, I want to say within the last five years. And it's basically just people who are really interested in uh, touring places surrounding tragedy and death of like any kind Oh, okay. So... Dark- I was wondering what that meant. That's okay. It's because it's kind of a new phrase. And because we recently coined the phrase, it's like an official phrase now, um, there's a lot of articles and people saying that it's new and on the rise and, like, this shit is not new. <laughs> people have been into dark, creepy, weird shit for forever. I mean, uh, Exhibit A, the Coliseum, like, come on. Yeah. Like, excuse me, we've been doing this for quite some time when it comes to- didn't know it. <laughs> when it comes to entertainment and tourism and whatnot, and there's a show I watched a couple years ago. By couple, I literally mean, like, I think it was, like, 2017, 2018. Um, there's a show on Netflix called Dark Tourism. This guy, he just has a show where he just goes around the world uh, to see all of the creepy, weird, dangerous shit that people want to go see. And the idea isn't even necessarily that, like, he wants to do these things. He just, like, kind of wants to know why people want to go and do and see these things, if that makes sense. So it's not that he's necessarily into it. I mean, he has to be on some level to have the show. But he also tries to talk to the people who are there with him. And he's like, what brought you here? (laughs) So I kind of have a list, I guess you could say. Um... I mostly have two places I want to talk about and then a couple of the places that that guy visits on his show. I I hate that I didn't write down his name, (laughs) but go to Netflix, type in dark tourist, dark tourism, and you'll find it. (laughs) So easy peasy. There you go. You're welcome, Netflix. When I think of like morbid Europe, I always think of the catacombs. As above, so below. I was just Incredible about to say, uh, my movie recommendation is As Above, So Below of like, uh, how about we like, don't illegally like, dive through the catacombs. Like, let's not do that. That is
1: movie- to make a groundbreaking film that's also fantastic and entertaining, but also kills you.
0: Yeah, so As Above, So Below is like, in my opinion, the prime example of dark tourism gone completely wrong.
1: Absolutely. I agree Um, with that
0: 100%. Yeah. So that's why I want to recommend that. Uh, Kelly's, I'm just going to say, is Wolf Creek and maybe Frozen. (laughs)
1: Yes, it's Wolf Creek. It's both. It's both. They're both terrible and also very entertaining. Um, I also, just quick sidebar, Yeah. um, the director who made Frozen, that is his number one film. Oh, no. top rated, best received film that he's made is Frozen. So definitely go watch that. It's not based off a true story, but there is creepy stuff surrounding it, and it's just good. And then Wolf Creek did actually happen. They're just exaggerated. Anyway, continue.
0: Okay, so when I decided to do some research on the Paris catacombs, I actually instead came across the Paris morgue, which I used to get confused with each other, which is stupid because I've literally been to the catacombs. But I was just a kid, so... I don't know what was up with that. I guess I just showed up and didn't learn a damn thing other than, "Hey, there's dead bodies here and it's fucking creepy." It was like, "Well, this is cool."
1: <laughs> I mean, honestly, That's we're
0: fucking Paris. So, woo! yeah. Yeah, fun fact, I actually got drunk for the first time at 10 because in Paris, they don't have drinking laws, and I thought that they were giving me non-alcoholic champagne and no one was monitoring me. Woo!
1: <laughs> That sounds like a blast. I would love to be... Honestly, what I would love the most is for you to be recorded drunk at 10 years old.
0: I just seem sleepy, honestly. Aww. Because, like, I was... I mean, it was... I was bored. We were in this fancy restaurant. It was bottomless champagne, I guess, because we were at this fancy-ass restaurant. Sorry, sidebar. And we all had these little champagne flutes in front of us. And I was so damn hungry... And the food was taking forever. I noticed that I got a little thing of champagne and my mom didn't stop me when I drank it. So and she saw me do it. So I was like, okay, I guess it's not alcoholic. Otherwise, my mom would totally stop me. And the waiter, every time it was empty, would just refill it without saying anything. And it was just like, I guess, bottomless because it was constantly refilled for the whole table the whole time. And I just kept drinking it because it tasted really good didn't know if it was bad of me to do it no one stopped me no one paid attention they were all talking about boring adult stuff blah it wasn't until i it wasn't until i stood up to walk back to the apartment to where i was like oh this is what dad does like i was like this is the thing that I was alcohol get it now. i was like actually it wasn't even i get it now it was just more of a like this is this is drunk like the, like i knew what it was i was like this is Oh, God, I can't let them know I'm going to be in so much trouble. And I was like, I'm sleepy as I, like, stumbled over my feet, like, walking on the sidewalk. Not a cute sight. I mean, maybe it was. I was 10. Maybe I was adorable. Who knows? (laughs) But not the point. Uh, Don't get your 10-year-old drunk by accident in Paris. Don't do that. Maybe monitor them. I told my parents that story recently, and they were like, we had no idea. Oh, my God. (laughs) So the catacombs, in its way, is dark tourism. You're literally... Visiting an indoor graveyard and it's decorated in human remains and bones and the shapes of like hearts and crosses and skulls and stuff But I'm here to talk about the Paris morgue, which is not what it used to be at all So in the 19th century the 1800s the Paris morgue had an exhibition room and apparently this is common of like a lot of morgues back in the day where anyone could just go in and behind glass just see a bunch of dead bodies on display. Like they were on display and they were all naked and they all had their original clothes that they were found dead in hanging above them. And the reason why they had this and why this was so common is because it was really common to come across unidentified bodies because we didn't have a way to log DNA or we didn't have a database of fingerprints or any of that. So the only way you can identify a body is if a family member or friend showed up and was like, oh, I know that person. So whenever someone was murdered and the body was, like, discarded or thrown into a river or just thrown somewhere, they would take the body and, like, I guess do their best to, like, sew and fix it up to make it look like the original person and, like, put it on display for people, anyone, just anyone to come by and look at it and they can tell authorities who it is. If they know them. Horrible way to find out. But most people treated it as a tourist attraction. Very few people actually used it what it was intended for. For example, of just how popular this quote-unquote attraction is, in 1886, a four-year-old little girl was found dead, and it was put in the paper, and just a rush of people ran to the Paris morgue just to go see her and to look at her. God, it happened so fast. The crowd became so massive so quickly that it turned into a mob that spilled into the streets and literally stopped traffic, which traffic at the time is, you know, horses and carriages. And on August 5th, 1886, the crowd going to see this little girl got so rowdy that it's how we would describe, like, Black Friday at Walmart today. Like, people would get trampled on break umbrellas, push each other to get closer to see. One woman actually almost died of suffocation because she was trampled on and, like, injured.
1: If you see... Uh, the fact that there's so many people there to see such a young body is just horrific. A dead young body.
0: But everyone yeah. wanted to go see it. Everyone wanted to see the newest, controversial dead person. Um, And it was a super fucking popular. Towards the end of the century... The Paris Morgue had become one of the city's most popular tourist attractions. It was in all of the tourist guides, all of the tour books. It was... Fuck, I wish I knew all the attractions. I'm going to sit here like an asshole and say the Eiffel Tower, but I don't think the Eiffel Tower was built yet. (laughs) But all of the other historic attractions of Paris that are really fucking famous, this morgue was up there with them. Uh, Not as a historical attraction, but just as a place to see dead people. And to top it all off, it was very common for the police to bring suspected murderers to the morgue to confront their victims, hoping that the shock of seeing what they had done would trigger a confession. So people would actually, like, post up and hang out and wait in hopes that the police would show up with uh, suspected murderers In hopes of being able to see like the whole thing go down and see the whole uh, confession and everything because sometimes it actually did work and they would become guilty and horrified with what they're being confronted with and like would confess people actually compare that to how we watch crime dramas today that people wanted to watch the crime drama. They wanted to watch it go down in real life. And a lot of articles and books and stuff are written at the Times about how the Paris Morgue is a sight to see, but not because of the dead bodies, but because of all the people watching. That the people going to see are just, like, barbaric and crazy in that, like, watching the people watching the dead bodies is its own show. So yeah, that was a thing. And even though there were other morgues that did the same thing in order to identify dead bodies, like the Paris morgue was the most famous one. And I just did not know about that. The intimidation of the murderers actually became so popular, which by the way, I got all this from Atlas Obscura. When fluorescent, when lights, when electricity was invented, they actually put harsh electricity on the bodies to make it like a more gruesome scene. To get the suspected murderers to, like, feel even worse and horrified with what they've done and confess. It, it just wasn't monitored. Like, anyone and everyone could just walk up and look at it. It wasn't, like, wait in line okay. and take your turn like a museum. On the show, Dark Tourism, like, I watched a couple episodes. And I wanted to touch up on some of the things I remembered from the episodes. I looked them up individually arguably one of the most fucked up things that i remember being episode one of this show and this is like kind of one of the most like privileged things i've ever heard in my damn life is that you can go to mexico by the border of the u.s mexico border and you can pay for uh let's attempt to cross the border simulation
1: what yeah
0: and it's like It's to be able to experience what it's like to try to cross the border. It's this long event. You, like, get up at the ass crack of dawn. And the original intent of this, I guess, simulation experience was to try to warn the dangers to Mexicans to not cross the border. But, of course, a lot of white people who are tourists took it as an opportunity to be like, I want to know what it's like to try to cross the border into America (laughs) and pay money to do it. It's like 50 bucks. What they do is, like, you're in a group. You walk for fucking forever. Like, you walk this whole long trail. And um, in the episode, the guy who runs it used to help people smuggle. He used to help people. And, like, so many people got killed. So many people got injured, arrested, that, like, that's why he started doing these, was to help people to encourage them to not try to cross illegally. But, of course, white people being white people do do what they do. He has all these people hired along the way to rob you and take your stuff and hold you at gunpoint and, like, scream at you and do all this stuff. And it gets to a point to where the people who paid for the experience – are like, I don't want to do this anymore, but they're like stuck and they have to wait for the whole experience to be over or they get really scared or they like can't tell if it's fake or real. Like they make it like really realistic. So some of these people think like they're actually being robbed, like they're not really sure. The end of the experience is they finally get to the border and then they get arrested by police. Because you didn't get shot down and killed, you get like shoved into a van and arrested. And you don't actually get arrested. It's simulated. But, like, it's this idea that you go through all of this, like, pain and torture and shit just to not even succeed. Why? Dark tourism, man. <laughs> but I'm like, that's disgusting. It's like a theme that it's, they want to see what it's like. Like, I understand wanting to warn people to not do it. But it's another for a tourist to go to a country and be like, I want to see what this experience is like. Like, it's just the most. That's such a slap
1: in the face. Like, I know. Stop. No. Okay. Like, this is a horrific experience that people have to go through. And you're just like, oh, I want to do it because I want to see what it's like. (laughs) That's the worst.
0: Like, you're doing it as entertainment.
1: That's the fucking worst. It's so
0: gross. I was just like, what the actual flying fuck? I could not believe it. I feel like you and I, like, we're interested in dark tourism. Like, I have things that are morbid and stuff. Like, we've we've joked about staying in haunted rooms and going to places and all this stuff and whatever. Like, I would definitely say, like, dark – like, we go on ghost tours. Like, all that stuff. For sure. But I would never do – the level of dark tourism where I'm actually putting my health or myself at any, like, physical risk. So when people go to visit uh, Fukushima, Japan, I'm just like, no. No. suicide <laughs> forest? No, that's that's different. Uh, I'll get to that one. That is also on this list. I got two places in Japan on this list. Uh, Fukushima, Japan is home of a nuclear disaster. Uh, same levels as Chernobyl, but it was handled better It didn't hurt as many people, it was more well-contained, but uh, it was still like a level 7 radiation nuclear disaster, which was the same level as Chernobyl. The Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster was due to, it happened in 2011, and in 2011 um, what happened was an earthquake caused a tsunami, and it caused the uh, nuclear power plant there to, well, explode causing everybody in the city to get some sort of radiation poisoning. They had, like, a huge evacuation. Everybody left. The whole place was completely evacuated. I mean, just like Chernobyl, like, there are still active areas of radiation that's really dangerous. And this guy on the show goes there, and they all have their Geiger counters, um, just to make sure it doesn't go above, like, 0.2... Which, like, if it gets above 0.2, that's when the radiation starts to negatively affect your body. You never want to be in an area above the 0.2 threshold. This tour guide, you know, takes them to all the places to, like, see the abandoned part. They kind of drive you, like, around the city, technically. But they definitely, in the show, drove through areas where everybody was freaking out because their Geiger counters were going up to 7. Way past, forget, 1. Like, forget .2 forget one, seven, peaking at nine, and everyone's freaking out, and the guy who's driving on these horse is like, oh, it's fine, and they're just like, uh, <laughs> no, it's not fine. I said, I think not, sir. They're actually, people are starting to move back to the city because, I mean, I understand, like, Japan being Japan and not being very large country, you know, they try to rehabilitate areas, like, very, very quickly, but that's just not something you can really rush. <laughs> is radiation? Uh there's people today though living in Fukushima. It's mostly old people. And a lot of pe- old people in Fukushima actually um it's going to sound weird, donated their lives in a way to help clean up the city for future generations for it to be like clean and available to live because they knew that they were old and like didn't have as much time left as like younger people, like just volunteered their lives themselves to, you know, be at risk for the radiation poisoning to help clean up the town, which, honestly, really poetic and really sad.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: yeah, it's a place you can go tour if you want. Um, which, of course, you know, Chernobyl's on the list, too. People fucking go there because they're stupid. They're, yeah, right. They're in-
1: if you will take fucking pictures in the radioactive lake, tells you that. Just because it looks pretty doesn't mean it is pretty.
0: Yeah, no. Okay. Changing gears to uh Milwaukee Wisconsin so I was actively trying to avoid like haunted places because we've talked about ghosts a lot in previous episodes and I was trying to just avoid hauntings and ghosts and stuff in general so this does involve haunting but like in a different weird sick way and I really didn't like watching it on the show just made me kind of like Uncomfortable. So you and I, obviously, we talk about serial killers a lot, and mm-hmm. it's something that we find very horrific, yet also fascinating, and it's just something we like to talk about. So in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, there is something called the Cream City Cannibal Tour, where you tour this area of Wisconsin that have has you know a lot of rich history of cannibalism, including Jeffrey Dahmer. There is two things that left a bad taste in my mouth about this tour, because I understand like wanting to go to a place and be like, this is where a serial killer lived or something or this is a haunted place where people died or this particular tour just has a rich history of native american tribes that involved cannibalism um agriculture and like serial killers specifically obviously most famous being jeffrey Dummer. part of the tour you literally walk the exact streets and go to the exact places where he picked up victims They, at the end of the tour, or I don't know if it's throughout the tour, at the end of the tour, like I was looking at their website and was like, what? They use dousing rods in hopes of contacting the ghost of Jeffrey Dahmer so like people on the tour can ask his ghost questions.
1: You're dumb. Don't do this. If there was not a demand for this, (laughs) they wouldn't have this. And it is dumb. Because on the off chance that it is correct, and you ask the wrong questions because you think you're funny as fuck, that shit isn't gonna play out well for anyone. So don't do it.
0: So yeah, they have a lot of like for the sorry, I'm going at their website now. Um Where You Walk in the Streets is where he picked up seven of his seventeen victims and they go into, you know, detail about how he killed them and everything. Like that's part of the tour, you know, drilling heads, pouring boiling boiling water, trying to create a lifelike sex doll, all this gross stuff that we've literally talked about in previous episodes. And one thing that they mentioned on the show where I was like, uh, but also like, yeah, was um, before the guy goes on the tour, his friend warns him that the whole tour is just going to be 30-year-old women. And it was, and he did, and it was just full of bachelorette parties. <laughs> but the particular girls he, like, talked to on the show, I was like, no, stop. They're just like, he's just so interesting. Like, oh, my God. And they talk about how, like, they just find, like, you know, Dude's like that, like so interesting and I think one woman even like called him like attractive, which is really fucked up and disgusting. And they were just, like, we just have a personality where we're just, like, obsessed with, like, fixing people and na-na-na-na-na. And I was, like, oh, I hate this. Like, this makes me so uncomfortable because this is, uh, like, something I find interest in but not in the same way, like, at all. (laughs) But also, Um, I would not go on this tour because, no, I don't want to contact, like, cannibals with a dousing rod. Are you fucking kidding me? That sounds like a recipe for disaster. This same company has a couple tours. Like they do ghost tours and stuff, but they also have like a, just a stayover experience, I guess, where you sleep in a dead hooker's bed. And I'm like, why? Why would you want to do that? Like we talked about how we want to go hang out with the ghost cowboy in Colorado, but that's different. I don't want
1: <laughs> to sleep in a dead hooker's somebody bed with the intention of like, oh, I'm gonna encounter a ghost of somebody who was a victim. No, yeah. I.
0: I don't think so. No. I don't subscribe to that brand of macabre. (laughs) But yeah, they advertise it as a spiritual awakening ghost adventure for the spiritual adventurer. Experience the vestigial rhythm of the Victorian era with a stay over in a haunted penthouse. I'm sure this experience is not cheap, and I'm looking at a picture, and I'm just kind of like, that is a, that's not even a king. It's a full-size bed. (laughs) (laughs) For a penthouse that's probably very expensive. I don't think so. (laughs) But yeah, it's the scene of a brutal hacking murder and dismemberment of an ill-fated bordello girl. No, thank you. Yeah, pass. Hard pass. And uh, they have stories on the website where they just mention, like, Creepy stuff that happened to them on the tour or creepy stuff that happened to tour guides while just in the area with the dousing rods. And I'm just like, that's okay. But anyways, moving on, I just, you know, was trying not to mention stuff like that. But that particular thing, I was like, that just, I don't know, just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So there's the Suicide Force of Japan, which we have butchered this name before. Aokigahara Jukai. I hope I got that. I hope I got that right. I am not entirely sure, but I assume you're correct. So part of what makes this forest so creepy is that the trees, they grow in such a way that wind does not blow through it. It's very odd and interesting, but it's just grown and built in such a way that the wind does not blow through it. So it's like eerily quiet, which is why people think so many chose this place To commit suicide, I guess. Apparently, um, the name translates to Sea of Trees. It's just crazy how so many people go there just to see a site where so many have either attempted to kill themselves or did kill themselves. At least 100 people kill themselves in this forest a year. And that's not counting the people who were searching for the forest and couldn't find it and killed themselves in neighboring woods like there's people who specifically were like i'm gonna find this forest and kill myself and then couldn't find it they thought they found it and ended up killing themselves in neighboring woodlands and you'll find clothing shoes scattered there's this really creepy ass photo of family's shoes dad's mom's and children's shoes all laid together A lot of people attempt suicide, not all succeed, and whenever I think of this place now, which really fucking sucks, I think of that stupid-ass YouTube guy that I just remember when that happened, it made me so mad, Logan something. I I didn't write it down because I just assumed I would remember Paul Logan, Logan Paul or some shit, like that, that twat who decided it would be really fun. Like, they found a dead body, I think, hanging in the forest, and they decided it would be He and his friends to be fun to record themselves, like looking at it, talking about it, joking about it. I just remember that being a catalyst for his YouTube going very downhill uh, because it was insanely disrespectful, insanely gross. To see a forest that has no wind blowing through it is something I'd be like, that's odd and interesting. I'd kind of just like to see just how eerily quiet it is. Being a tourist in a place where, you know, people in the country go to kill themselves just feels so disrespectful on so many levels that I don't think I ever do want to go there.
1: Especially if it's considered disrespectful.
0: That's on this list. And so the last thing I wanted to mention Knowing me, I always go overboard with these fucking topics because I always think I don't have enough to talk about, and I always end up with (laughs) too much fucking shit to talk about. I was trying to think to myself, I was like, what is one place I would never go? What is one place that, like, the idea of visiting scares the living shit out of me? And I realized that place is North Korea. And there are people who go and visit North Korea as a tourist, Westerners, And I... Because they're just dumb. And while apparently it's not common for Westerners to be kidnapped, harmed, or have crime against them that we know of, because it's the most secretive country in the fucking world, and we don't really know what the fuck is actually going on there except by people who escape, there's this, like, I guess you could call it a guide. It's worldnomads.com. Things you need to know before considering traveling to North Korea. And it's just one of those things where if you decide to be a fucking asshole, you can not only get yourself killed, but also your tour guide killed. You can get everybody within your group killed just for being a jackass and being disrespectful in any way. First of all, there's a lot of people who are denied entry to go at all to North Korea. Most... Obviously, South Koreans do not gain entry to visit North Korea as a tourist. If you have a U.S. passport, you must have special validation for travel to North Korea from the Department of State. So the U.S. has to approve you being allowed to go to North Korea. I think because, you know, any and all representation of your country, like, they can just see as a form of that country committing a crime against them so like if you go to North Korea and you decide to do a bunch of shit and you get yourself killed they can be like oh well we declare a war against the U.S. because you clearly sent this person to harm us or something when it's just an All asshole right. tourist so that's a thing I mean I understand the U.S. being like why the fuck do you want to go there but I guess we can't technically stop you but like we can on some level <laughs> So just know if you ever do decide to go to North Korea, you will be 100% under total control. Uh, your guide will take your passport from you and your cell phone upon arrival. they take it from you for security reasons. And they also want to make sure your passport doesn't look different from the most common passports from your country. So if your passport looks a little weird, they flag you. Um, you will not have access to anyone or anything that is not part of your authorized tour. The whole thing is an authorized tour and you will always have an assigned tour guide 100% of the time. You will never not be monitored. You will not get any insight into how local North Korean people live. Your tour will be highly choreographed to visit only the authorized sites, shop in approved stores, and speak only to official guides. If you do not break any rules of the tour, doing so will place your guide at risk. If you break rules, your guide will be subjected
1: to imprisonment or torture. Just to make sure I'm clear, if you break no rules, your tour guide is still at risk. They can be, yes. Your tour
0: guide is just always at risk. I mean, they're forced to do this shit. But you always have to do what the tour guides do. So if you're an asshole and you fuck up, your tour guide could be subjected to imprisonment and torture for assisting you in your espionage. Because it's their fault you acted up. You have to do what the guides do, have to praise every stop on your tour. Like if you have nothing good to say, say nothing at all. So you have to every stop you make, you just praise it, love it, like act like it's the best thing you've ever seen, or say nothing. You have to constantly, you know, honor the leader. Tour groups are asked to solemnly bow and lay flowers on one or two occasions in front of statues of Kim Il-sung when visiting monuments of national importance. Always act in a respectful manner around uh, images of North Korean leaders. If you don't think you can follow the rules, behave respectfully, and keep any negative thoughts or opinions to yourself, you should probably, like, not go to North Korea, (laughs) because it's a criminal act to show any disrespect especially to the current and former leaders, North Korea. And violating the laws, even unknowingly, you could be arrested or imprisoned or expelled. So any unauthorized activities can and will be seen as an attempt at espionage. So, if you travel unescorted without explicit official authorization or any attempts to talk to a North Korean citizen, authorities will see these actions as attempted espionage. Because they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to be tortured. They want to report you immediately and have you be the one who takes the brunt of all of the blame. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't know what's going on, that's what they're going to do. So, uh, they could fine or arrest you for unauthorized currency transactions or for shopping at stores not designated for foreigners. Cannot take pictures unless you're told to. Authorities may view taking unauthorized pictures as espionage, and they will confiscate your cameras and film and or just detain you. Photographing scenes of poverty or other things that may cause a negative impression of the country will result in confiscation. Yeah, so your visit will be so tightly controlled that you simply just will never be in a position to be the victim of crime. But you will always be viewed as, like, the cause of some sort of crime if you fuck up. You're so tightly controlled, there's honestly no real risks to your health. Obviously right now, with you know, corona, yes, but this is written pre-corona. At the time, malaria was the only thing people really worried about. But yeah, uh, for the most part, those are the main things you need to know. Just be hyper-controlled. So there are times when people fucked up. They're always Americans. I swear to God. There's this one dude, James. <laughs> Come on, James. So this is from, I mean, I, I read it from The Guardian, so take it or leave it. You can look it up yourself, I guess. Um, What's James's last name? Okay, don't tell me James's last name. See if I care. So, this is a guy named uh, James who went to North Korea, and this article was written in 2017. And he smuggled currency stamps and a poster of the great leader, Kim Il sung, that he bought on the black market. Uh, so, he left the country smuggling some shit. Months later, I can't even say James's friend, it was just a fellow American. His name, but this is the real controversy, is Otto Warmbier. Sorry, Otto Warmbier, who was just a tourist in North Korea, was arrested because he was put in like detention. He was detained. I can't say arrested. He was detained in North Korea because he was accused of stealing a propaganda poster from a hotel. Probably the poster that James did steal. So uh, they arrested this dudes for this other dudes crimes. I think they gave him a lobotomy. I'm not sure. Gave him severe brain damage. Uh, When he was returned to America, finally, he wouldn't speak, couldn't do anything, was just an awake, alive person. Like, he could move and stuff and, I guess, eat, but he just, like, wasn't there. And then shortly after returning, died. And when the doctors examined him, all they could really gather was that he had severe brain injuries. This caused great controversy. Uh, obviously since then the U.S. department is like hey let's like not travel to North Korea like let's not let's all as a country agree to like not do that <laughs> what's weird to me also is that uh there's a lot of I'm gonna say recent visitors this is since 2017 who have gone to North Korea and you know there's also various tourist agencies who actually dismiss claims that travelers are exposing themselves to danger and saying that like oh it's It's fine, and, you know, and though James, who bypassed the state security, you know, with smuggled goods in hand, you know, cautioned Americans against such travel, but were like, it's okay, like, it's not that dangerous, like, it's fine. So it's kind of weird how there's people who've been there in tourist agencies who are like, it's fine, you're safe, and then, you know, the U.S. department is like, how about you don't do it? So what happened to Otto is really sad. Um, so there's this other guy, he's there currently, still supposedly alive, and his family is trying really hard to get him back, and he didn't even visit, uh, North Korea. He visited China, but North Korea claims to have him. His name is David Snedden, and I got this, like, there's, when you Google this kid, there's like, maybe like, four articles that show up, which is like, real sketchy. So I got this from, uh, what I'm about to read is from the Washington Post, um, just random hear their articles and there's a facebook page saying you know bringing david lewis nedden home and newsweek.com is like did north korea kidnap him and not a lot you can find about him the story goes is that he was hiking in china he already was fluent in korean was learning chinese he was a byu student he was a junior at byu and by the way this article was written in 2019 And uh, he went hiking and just disappeared. No one heard from him again. Since then, apparently there's been some contact to confirm that he is alive. He's in North Korea and he has a family and he works as a uh, teacher of English and translator. He was in Beijing, though, when he disappeared. He was not in North Korea. And so uh, his family has actively gone to President Trump to be like, hey, can you just like ask What happened? If we can get him back, like, what the fuck? (laughs) Which, of course, you know, he did not ask or care. So his family, which is his mom and dad and 11 children, he has 10 siblings, are all just, like, you know, they're just fucking furious and trying to figure it out. And um, apparently he's been missing for 14 years. He's been in North Korea that's my terrifying travels is, you know, probably don't so go, to go to North Korea. to North Korea. Don't Stop go to North that. Korea. Or I guess don't be um, a white person fluent in Korean hiking in China either. Because I feel uh, like, I just can't help but feel like they went after him because like they figured out he was fluent in Korean and were like, we can use him. Because he knows English uh, so well, you know, he's American. It's just so sad. And his yikes. family is still trying to get him back. I mean, I almost decided to like look up stories of uh, people who escaped, but I decided to not go that route because I feel like this is about like tourism, traveling, you know, going somewhere for fun or a learning experience and something horrible happening to you.
1: I mean, I know there's a lot of stories of people living in North Korea who escape it and they have terror stories. They're just like, you guys got to help. Like this shit is insane. You know, it was like there was a young girl who escaped and she was, I want to say like 10 to 12 years old, but she got out of there and her parents didn't. And she's just like, look, I got out of here to tell you just how bad it is so we can get some fucking help because it's insane over there.
0: It's bad. I I was sitting here Googling North Korea, being like, I'm so scared I'm gonna be flagged or tracked down somehow and, like, taken. Like, I'm just sitting here, like, just scared, like, looking it up. Especially yeah. when I saw there weren't, like, many articles about that kid and what happened to him. It makes me feel like, like, remember on our Aliens episode about what happened at like, Fort Benning in Georgia, where it's like, I feel like things keep getting posted and then taken down. It feels like one of those things... That was just, I, I wanted to cover something that scared the living crap out of me. So, that, that place will do it. Yep. <laughs> also, I mean, have fun on your ghost tours and serial killer tours and camel tours, but like, don't try to contact them. What the fuck is wrong with you? Literally watching the footage of that woman with the dowsing rods being like, if you are Jeffrey Dahmer, like, cross the rods. And they cross and she's like, who has a question for Jeffrey Dahmer? And I'm like, can you not?
1: It's so gross. Like, uh, why would you want that?
0: Why would you want to talk to him? No, like fuck off. Like, be glad he's dead. Be glad he's gone. Like, let's let's leave it alone. Yeah, fuck him. Let it lie. Also, who would want to be haunted by Jeffrey Dahmer? Like, fuck off. It could have been anything else. Could have been any other spirit, just like pretending to be and latching on you. Take going home. Like, I don't know, man. I just
1: like, nope. You do not know what you're fucking with. So
0: please stop. So that's my, my that's my whole thing. That's my whole spiel. That's all I got. Fun. So uh, thank you to everyone who joined us over at our transfer over to Rock Punch ATL. I know that at first I tried to do the thing where I streamed on my normal channel and then tried to either raid or just transfer over, but it it didn't work for some reason. I don't know why it didn't work. That's fine. I'll just post via social media, but yes, nine o'clock on Thursdays will, uh, forever be the normal day. We're finally going to take just that, that, that step to be a little more official. (laughs) A little bit better at what we
1: do. (laughs) Lock it in a little better.
0: Reminder that we do have a Patreon. We have a website with a blog that go along with our episodes with photos and stuff that we talk about. We have merch and whatnot. I still need to put out the DJ Zozo t-shirts. The stickers are out for DJ Zozo. But the shirts are not yet. And I want to work on getting holographic stickers. But I'm just obsessed with stickers. I just need to figure out all graphic stickers are the best kind but thank you guys for hanging out with us and keep it creepy keep it creepy music by freestockmusic.com for blog posts showing visuals for each episode you can find our blog at cotmpodcast.com If you'd like to help support us and receive discounts and loyalty rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash quote on the macabre. We record every episode live Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv slash the tiger wizard. If you can't find us on your favorite podcast app or site, please let us know and we'll fix that. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates on episodes, blog posts, and special events. And don't forget...